You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. Here's Annie for Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, there's been a mighty lot of things happening over the last week. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about this uh, today uh, before we get on to a little bit of news. Uh, we're going to find out about the uh, announced funding for the ABC. By uh, We're going to have a chat with uh, Marcus May from Friends of the ABC to tease out if uh, the uh, federal liberals are speaking with a forked tongue as they try to uh, bamboozle uh, key uh, opponents to their policy to the for the ABC uh, just before the federal election. We're going to go on to talk to Andrea Whitcomb about the Collingwood Community Gardeners' uh, outrage at uh, receiving a letter telling them to uh, pick up all their leftovers because there's going to be a rare development of the Colling- Collingwood Community Gardens. Uh, Anyway, this is a really big deal. They're uh, calling a uh, rally uh, at 10 o'clock today down at um, the Collingwood uh, farm uh, to uh, kick off uh, uh, what I presume they're hoping will be green bands on this construction. Anyway, we'll talk to Andrea to find out more about that. Uh, This is the week that was. Uh, Kevin has uh, put in his uh, uh, report. Uh, He is going away for um, next week, so uh, not forever, just for one week. So listen up this week, enjoy, savour. He'll be off and then he'll come back. So this is is a man who plans uh, for his audience to uh, really enjoy his pearls of wisdom. So... uh, But this week, we've got This Is The Week That Was, which is great. And then we're going to talk to Don Sutherland about uh, wages. Uh, There's been some big... uh, I know there's been an incredible amount of soft soft shoe shuffling around everything but the realities of workers' experiences. But uh, wages is a touchstone for people's uh, lived experience and there have been some things going on. Uh, because we know we're in the desert of uh, uh, wages uh, advancement in Australia, uh, as uh, this federal government has stacked the cards against uh, workers. 
Um, and as we go into the federal election, uh, there's an awful lot of stuff that people need to realise about what's at stake. Anyway, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, but before we do, I it, it would be, this has been an extraordinary uh, week because it appears that this is the um, a turning of the page. Uh, one, uh, the federal liberals are making have been on the hustings. So I, I would argue that they've been on the federal elections hustings for you know at least two months or longer, uh, with uh, various announcements and pork barrelling across uh, their particular um, uh, uh, political landscape. Um, you know who they favour, uh, but uh, this week, uh, despite the fact that we're in election mode, the it should be remembered that they haven't actually called the election, which means, of course, that all the various things that have to happen uh, and all the different provisos, etc., etc., about behaviours, etc., aren't in force yet. So it makes you wonder about the uh, sneakiness of the federal government's behaviour. Uh, uh, what does that allow them to do? But anyway, that's that's small potatoes because uh, the um, religious discrimination bill two thousand and twenty two didn't pass and uh, you'd probably have to be uh, blind and deaf not to realise that this has happened and even people who are blind and deaf get the information these days because uh, uh, we're becoming a little bit more aware of uh, all our fellow citizens. Um, anyway, uh, the um, Religious Discrimination Bill to 2022 did not pass and five Liberals crossed the floor. Now, this is unheard of, uh, um, and uh, is it quite a remarkable thing. Uh, the um, It's interesting because I was watching the ABC and it had a, um, you know, how they have the little ticker tape at the bottom. Uh, at when it was announced that uh, the uh, that it had failed, um, and the, you know all, there was all this uh, Ferrari, um, it, it first it said the protection of religious freedom bill had uh, faltered, um, and I thought that's a very interesting way of putting it: the protection of religious freedoms bill. And then later on, that was actually a uh, change to religious discrimination bill because it wasn't actually about protecting religious freedom. We have a lot of the anti-discrimination law in Australia is quite specific about protecting people's religious freedom rights. Uh, there was actually no reason to uh, um, call it that except that uh, it was um, a raising a red a flag to people who are religious and, or you know, consider their spirituality tied to conventional religions as being paramount and perhaps under threat. Uh, this was actually a bill that was actually reducing the freedoms of other people to actually be free citizens. And it's been um, condensed down to a single sentence I've read this morning, which was that it gave people in private schools and religious organisations to uh, not allow transgender children to uh, attend their schools, gave them the legitimate legal right to uh, uh, to ban them from their schools. Now, that that's about reducing citizens' rights. It's not about actually protecting religious freedom. 
But this is what uh, the sneakiness of uh, this fed- particular federal government. Uh, it's big with spin. And um, it's fascinating to see that uh, five liber- liberals crossed the floor and were clever enough not to actually signal their intentions because it's become clearer and clearer as things go along how very aggressive and threatening uh, a particular carbell within the federal Liberal Party really is. So this is actually quite a fascinating piece of uh, work. Now then, on top of that, there was, of course, the big ruckus over the National Press Conference um, where Grace Tame and Brittany uh, Higgins actually um, threw back the paternalistic responses coming out of the uh, federal uh, Liberals uh, and it's caused a huge storm because they're not actually playing nice. And it's such a, a fascinating thing to watch the uh, mainstream right-wing media uh, regroup with things like uh, headlines saying things like uh, uh, Tame Higgins Hate Fest. <laughs> That's what it's been called by um, – and this is by – the uh, you know supposedly respectable media, uh, so there you go. They're really tripping over. Another piece of uh, so you know things aren't going very well for uh, Morrison quite at the moment. And so lo and behold, what do I see amongst the on Channel Nine uh, amongst the with the sound off the uh, uh, endless ads by the um, Palmer's Party. The, the little man that pops up his head and promises endless freedom. Uh, uh, you have um, an announcement for, uh, of a feature, a special feature with Morrison and his wife, and his wife is the featured person. Like we actually, she's the main game. So obviously things are going really badly when Morrison has to bring the wifey out to uh, tell people that, you know, he's an all right Joe. So there you go. That's that's a very interesting turn up for the books. And just on another little more local uh, issue, uh, the Age this morning has, um, uh, has a report about, this is unbelievable stuff, you couldn't write it. As, as Kevin would say, um, you couldn't write it, um, that, a for, that it's been found that... Um, the police have been uh, following up uh, the, this rather awful uh, YouTube uh, video of uh, masked uh, fascists doing Zig Heil uh, uh, salutes and burning the um, Aboriginal flag and uh, with uh, a banner of being abusive and particularly abusive against Lydia Thorpe. And... Um, the police say, uh, you know, when it's taken to the police, they say, oh, well, it's un- unpleasant, but uh, they haven't actually broken the law. But, of course, they've been, uh, uh, you know, tracking them down. You know, there is an anti... Uh, this, uh, so the police have actually found that uh, the one of the characters who, has, who calls himself John Dixon online is actually the former treasurer of Melbourne University Young Liberals. He's no longer... But uh, he was one of the people who was, you may remember, responsible for a whole barrage of a- uh, racist, sexist, um, uh, 
crap coming out of uh, the uh, Melbourne University Young Liberals. Anyway, he's, uh, you know, bloating himself on his uh, zig hile and uh, makes you wonder about uh, some of the sort of unsavoury nature of, of stuff going on within the Liberal Party. But, it was, you know, five Liberals cross the floor. Perhaps they're actually going to actually salvage their party. Anyway... We'll we'll see about that. Uh, poor old Morrison. Poor old Morrison. Anyway, on um, much more positive news, uh, there's a couple of things that you should be aware of. That um, there is going to be a um, event. It's running today. Uh, in fact, you could probably go down to the uh, Collingwood Farm and. Uh, Raise your voices against the destruction of the uh, community garden down there at 10 and still make it at 12 o'clock to the beginning of a two-day event. It runs from 12 to uh, 6, I think, each day. It's the uh, Victorian... It's it's the Festival of Forests, Festival for the Forests. And it's also tomorrow, uh, if you can't make it today... At two o'clock is the official launch of the Victorian Forest Alliance. It's uh, the Victorian Forest Alliance is a new alliance of long-term grassroots forest groups that are incorporated, um, and uh, their aim is to protect and restore native forests in the state of Victoria by developing effective strategies to facilitate interaction and collaboration between environmental groups. Now, you remember that these people, uh, this is a step in the campaign to protect the Victorian forests uh, in a coordinated fashion. And this has led to some ongoing legal challenges that have un covered a whole range of issues around the way forests are being managed in Victoria. They're doing absolute, talk about punching above their weights. Uh, anyway, this particular launch is at two o'clock tomorrow, but the whole event, the uh, Festival for Forests, which is on at the Black Spark Cultural Centre, which is at 235A St George's Road, Northcote, 235A St George's Road, Northcote. That's the Black Spark Cultural Centre. The event is going to not only have the launch tomorrow at 2, but there's uh, an online art auction, so you can go to their Facebook and have a look at what's going on. Uh, the um, There's going to be... Uh, let's see, I've got... All the different things. It's going to include an art exhibition, auction, fundraiser, live music, banner making, footpath art, video screening and more. And they're raising funds for uh, the uh, extra special work that these people are doing. So if you want to have anything to do with it, Festival for Forest, drop in. It's uh, uh, If you can't make it at 12 today, go tomorrow at 2. It's on at the... Black Spark Cultural Centre. And we'll leave this section with something that is absolutely amazing. I found out, you know, during Invasion Day, uh, Port Ferry, uh, I was, I harked from down that way, Western Victoria, and uh, there was profound um, silence about uh, the Indigenous people on this, uh, on that really fertile land. Lots of Indigenous people lived in Western Victoria when uh, the uh, 
Europeans turned up and, uh, of course, there were many massacres and uh, dispossessions. And, but there was profound silence in all the time that I was growing up there, which was one of the reasons for why I personally went to, to wanted to find out more about what was going on. Uh, also, when my family moved down there, my uh, sisters, uh, they were brought up in, in the bush. And when they went down to Warrnambool, they were so freaked out by Warrnambool because there were no trees. Times have changed. But something really important happened. There is now a memorial down there and it says, in memory of the thousands of Aboriginal people who were massacred between 1837 and 1844 in this area of Port Ferry. Your spirit still lives here. Extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. This this is a turning of the page. Perhaps it's not just just the turning of the page away from the regressive politics that we've been experiencing in Australia with this brand of liberalism. Perhaps it's much, much deeper. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. We'll be back shortly. I know 
Hi, I'm Ruby from Fitzroy Primary and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR. And you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Marcus May on the line from Friends of the ABC. G'day Marcus, how are you? Hi, Annie. Good to be with you. Yeah, nice to talk to you. And, of course, uh, the federal election, although it hasn't been officially called, is really happening. And uh, we all get this, uh, well, not surprised because, of course, when you've got an election to win, you do want to say what everybody wants to hear. And so we hear that the Liberal federal government has said that they're going to put some money back into the ABC. But that's not really true, is it? Uh, no, it's not. I mean, the first thing I'd say is the, the ABC's been attacked by both sides of politics over time. Uh, so any discussion about uh, ABC funding is nonpartisan. However, currently, and for the last nine years, the Liberal and National Parties have been in government. Um, Minister Fletcher, in his recent announcement, uh, is being quite deliberately deceptive and misleading the public. Um, and I'll explain if I've got a couple of minutes to do you so. You certainly do. All right. So, firstly, uh, Minister Fletcher and Prime Minister Morrison are keen to talk about the Morrison government term for the last three years. However, uh, the co- coalition parties were returned to power in 2013, and the same players inside that government have been making the decisions and been in power ever since. So, whether it's uh, Dutton and Taylor or Morrison and Fletcher or Barnaby Joyce. The same players have been making decisions, uh, albeit they change chairs whenever the music stops uh, and occasionally shoot their own uh, leaders, but uh, the same people <laughs> making decisions. Uh, so we need to look at that total uh, period of government. Uh, so what's happened during those nine years of government? The, uh, in the eight years since 2014, which the first budget was launched, the federal government has cut more than half a million dollars out of the ABC budget, as well as defunding the ABC's international service by nearly $200 million, uh, which brings us to about $700 million. Um, so that's point number one. So when they say no cuts, uh, they're only referring to the last three years. And let's now focus on the last three years. Uh, in the last three years, indexation has been frozen Uh, What that means is indexation is designed to keep the spending power of the ABC budget up with inflation. Now, every worker knows. So keep keep a steady keel, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and I was saying, everybody knows, every worker knows, if your wages don't go up but prices increase, then your income is squeezed. And that's what's been happening to the ABC. In fact, over that three-year freeze, 2018 to 21, it's taken about $87 million out of its funding. Now, uh, yesterday or the day before, um, Minister Fletcher said we're restoring indexing of the ABC budget and therefore we're increasing the ABC budget. No, that's not true. Uh, As I said, indexation is only to have a steady keel, maintain your spending power. Now... So, yeah, exactly. so what you're really saying is that if you were, if the ABC was a horse, and you put some straps on its legs, um, and said run, and then you said later on, I'm going to take the straps off your legs, and say that you can now run, that uh, you're you're a really nice person. 
basically. That's what they're doing, right? Well, that, that's an interesting analogy. Um, I, I would say more if, if I said to you, uh, your $1,000 a month income uh, is not going to go up in regards to inflation, and then inflation, you know, your price of petrol, your price of uh, your rent, uh, your food, went up by 10% in a year, so but you still only have the $1,000, then effectively you've got $900 spending yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly right. And But but that's a very, very ch- uh, cheeky and sneaky um, approach, which people should take into account when you come to a politician like Fletcher. He's saying, he's saying that he, they're actually giving the ABC money, when in actual fact they're not. No, absolutely. There's not a, not a dollar increase being given. And they're... they're current restoring of indexation now <clears throat> will only apply to the lower funding level three years ago. It's not going to catch up what's been lost. Yeah, yeah. Well, it says that he's uh, Morrison's pledged $3.3 billion to the ABC, but that's no, there's no extra funding because he's simply going to continue to fund the ABC at the current levels. So that's, that's, right. that's another piece of weasel words. <laughs> In fact, he's going to continue to fund the ABC at three years ago. Level. Yeah, right. So that's even even so. Like Australian workers who are, are not being uh, getting any wage increase, where everybody's going backwards. Exactly, exactly the same analogy. The Australian workers have had terrible wage increases, that low low level of wage increases that haven't kept up with inflation at all, and and so they're suffering. Yeah, yeah. Um, the coalition will, by this stage, have cut the ABC get-up, says, by $1.2 billion. Uh, well, if, I'll give you a... So this, when I say that $500 million, half a billion has been taken out of the ABC funding, uh, this is not a figure we dream up. So independent research from Sydney University, from RMIT, from per capita from the Australian Institute, all confirm this has happened. This amount of money has been taken out of the ABC budget. Um, so uh, as, as a summary of that, and this, if you go to the ABC annual report, you'll see this in print, uh, about $100 million per annum has been taken out of the ABC budget. Yeah. And, and of course, this is not just about money, is it? It's about a whole range of other things, but it's the most blatant aspect to it. Uh, there's been a whole lot of other things that have been happening at the ABC, if you've been acute uh, about, you know, changes. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a raft of attacks on the ABC from various forms, whether it's political interference, whether it's demands to have answer inquiries about this or that, and whether they're impacting commercial media, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, been going on and on and on. Um, uh, but the net effect uh, for the ABC is that there's huge programming cuts and staffing cuts that have to be made because they've got less money. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. about 1,300 jobs have been lost since 2014, uh, but they've been able to hire back some younger, less experienced uh, staff with lower pay rates. So the net loss is about 650 jobs uh, Australia-wide. Um, and the... the the amount of hours of Australian drama has basically been cut in half, um, you know, which is one of the things, there's another cute thing that Minister Fletcher is doing, saying he wants to uh, table and his expectation 
that the ABC will report on Australian content and uh, and rural uh, hours spent. Uh, now that the ABC is not an arm of government, it is not a government um, utility, and under legislation, the government has no right to tell the ABC what to do. It is fully independent. So this is another sort of sneaky way of edging in, yeah, we are going to tell you what to do, you know, and, and it's chip, chip, chip away at the independence of the ABC that has been a feature of the last nine years. Yeah, it's also, that's fascinating because it's really, uh, it, it, it came out when um, the raw, the, uh, well, you know, the car uh, giving money to particular um Sports rorts. We'll pick one of them out of the hat, you know, sports rorts. When it was actually uh, investigated, that whole thing, it appeared that it appeared uh, that the minister involved actually didn't know the uh, uh, actual uh, uh, system that she was working under. You know, she didn't understand the power, extent of her power, as it were. You know, well, it's sort of a bit like the uh, the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland, you know, cut off their head, right? Uh, it, and what we appear to have is not just willful uh, damage being done to our system, but people who are like real estate agents who just want that piece of land. Yeah, well, funny you should bring that up. Uh, Minister Fletcher in his, one of his previous chairs was uh, Minister for Infrastructure and he oversaw the purchase of the Leppington Triangle piece of land uh, for Sydney Airport, Ooh. which uh, they paid ten times the the uh, the auditors of the value of that land, which was uh, extreme. When asked, uh, he didn't seem to know anything about it. And um, oh, and also he I watched that he he blamed the civil servants. Yeah, yeah, but it was. It was out of his control, wasn't it? Yeah, no, out of his control. But it, but it, you're right. It's it's chip 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 away, and um, the ABC has an incredibly important function. Now, if you go back to the historical uh, roots of the ABC, um, to the prime minister who put it together, uh, who was incredibly interested in the news, he wanted news, and he wanted uh, the nation to understand itself as a nation, basically, because it was. Well, it was- yeah. Prime Minister Menzies is the centre of that. And it was, um, you know, in the war years that he wanted uh, an independent source of news that he didn't have to... We had to stand on our own two feet, effectively. Uh, and, and the purpose was uh, outlined as uh, to inform, educate and entertain audiences for all Australians throughout Australia and overseas. Um, and, and that was... Brought down the two budgets, basically the general op- operational activities and the transmission services. Yeah, well, the uh, modern uh, face of it is that the ABC has uh, been absolutely pivotal in uh, the responses during some national disasters in recent memory. Even though uh, people who have been fire affected, for example, are still waiting for um, uh, funds to build rebuild their lives. Uh, having the ABC uh, being chipped away at it regionally is really putting salt in the wounds, isn't it? Well, it, it, yeah, it's across the board. Uh, and some people, uh, serious watchers of, of the ABC and what it does, will claim currently that the ABC is unable to fulfil its charter because of these funding cuts. 
I'll, I'll give you another method of um, measuring the funding cut. So if you, if you take the ABC budget as a percentage of the total federal government spend, right, so that's everything that the federal government spends, in 1987, it was 0.6 of 1%. Right, 0.6. That's 1987. In 1992, it was 0.4. In 2017, it was 0.25. And in 2020, 21, it's 0.14. Now, if you map that out in front of you, 0.6 down to 0.14. That's an enormous reduction. Well, um, I know that uh, you like to be even-handed about this in regards to the political uh, framework behind yep. these cuts. However, it has been pointed out that uh, the Liberals have actually labelled the ABC as political acid and um, that... Uh, yes, Mr Dutton, it's not very happy with them. Well, not surprising because they actually do some research. <laughs> yes, it, uh, the... All the research about the ABC continues to show that the ABC is by far the most trusted source of news and information. Uh, and that's because they do their research, they are impartial and they are accurate, as, they, as they're required to do by the Charter. Well, we could argue all those points, but um, it's definitely an important part of the uh, media landscape in Australia. And... Uh, more strength to its arm. Let's hope there is going to be a more positive, now, yeah, yeah, more positive outcomes for uh, the um, Australian um, political landscape uh, with a, a stronger and, if, look, and fresher ABC. If I if I can put in a plate, it's unreasonable, but I want to do it. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. If if you want to support the ABC, and many many people do, about eighty percent of Australians uh, go to direct to your Member of Parliament or join ABC Friends and we'll do it for you. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks very much for spending some time with us, Marcus. Cheers, Annie. Bye. Transitions Film Festival returns this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about technological innovations and change-makers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. 
Transitions Film Festival, February 18th to March 13th, with screenings in Melbourne and online nationwide. For the full program, visit transitionsfilmfestival.com. Transitions Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, we've got Andrea Whitcomb on the line. And uh, and, g'day, Andrea. How are you? Good day, Annie. Good day, everybody. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, and we've come to talk about a very serious subject, which is the uh, Collingwood Community Garden and the threat to its 40-year-long history. Can you tell us the update? Absolutely. So what happened was that last Tuesday we thought we were going to a meeting with uh, our version of a proposed management plan with the farm management and DWELP representatives. So the DWELP is the government department that looks after Crown land and therefore has ultimate responsibility for the both the gardens and the children's farm. And that was at the request of DWELP. When we left at at the end of last year, our kind of consultations that had been happening weekly, the agreement was that the farm would not touch the gardens throughout um, January, which in a way physically they haven't, but that's another story in terms of what was going on behind the scenes, and that we would then discuss our proposed management plan. Well, our management plan was never discussed, and instead we were informed that we had days to tell the farm what we wanted removed and that they would be clearing the site with human labour and machines, bobcats, bulldozers, what have you. Um, And then, after clearing it, they would engage in a wide, what they call a community consultation process to envision the new uh, gardens, which they um, describe as having to be, first of all, for disabled and disadvantaged people across wider community. Mm, all right, so there's a couple of things there. Now, the yeah. Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning yeah. has uh, basically been... Um, uh, Sold out. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, they haven't they, been trustworthy and hasn't, hasn't been respectful, hasn't been trustworthy and has basically been lying to us. Yeah, what exactly. What they set out as a process was not a process at all. They, yeah. they basically knifed us in the back. Yeah, and this is and this was quite clear because uh, Richard Wynne, who's the uh, member, the MP for Richmond, uh, they've already given eight hundred and sixty thousand dollar grant for a massive redevelopment coming out of. So that, I mean, that takes months, if not years. Exactly, exactly, Annie. That takes months to organise. So the so-called consultation with us was a sham from the beginning to win them time to organise this. Now you'd think that any you you know any proper process would say, okay, let's fix the basic safety requirements, you know, and we're not saying that there's nothing to fix there. Although there's another story as to why there might have been a need to do so, but fixing those the in no it was way a pretext. the clearing of the land. It was a complete tactic to get to the point where they could force their new vision, which is complete, which is basically taking gardens away from the Yarra community. These gardens were established by members of the Yarra community, by 
Turkish and Greek migrants. It has since become an incredibly multicultural and socially diverse community of plotters, which by gardening together and alongside each other and exchanging knowledge have preserved the intangible heritage of gardening across multiple different cultures, shared that with each other. That has grown. If you think about the generations over 43 years of gardening, you know, that is an incredible multiculturalism in practice that builds community, that establishes social relations between very diverse members of the Yarra community and enhances the social belonging of all. And all we wanted to do was bring that into a contemporary modern setting and enhance it, increase it for Yarra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Instead, is... what we have is, you know, this corporate slick vision of community with pretty little pictures of people from all walks of life kind of walking, you know, past each other, but actually not working with each other in what looks to be like a very pretty garden where the paths are more important than the actual soil in which people garden. But it, it's also tied to the funding streams that the government has organised around uh, particular political uh, programs that make them look good, uh, where Absolutely. they're pitting, pitting one group of so-called disadvantaged people against other people using public public uh, resources and putting it into the hands of, uh, for, uh, as you say, a sort of pseudo-corporate uh, yeah, social... Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the problem with um, social... Enterprise, right? Social so enterprise. What that's, that's what they. I've been struggling to work, remember what, yeah, what they what call it. This, and that is what is behind this. And and you can see it by what was happening. So what what your listeners need to realise is that up to twenty percent of the plots were not being allocated by the farm to people from Yarra on the waiting list. Those plots were being, you know, weeds, of course, were growing on them. We were not allowed to look after those plots and, and maintain them. And then slowly, the farm manager had a plot. Members of the committee of management had a plot. And then most ominously of all, social enterprise had a plot using $25,000 grant to make that plot look pretty to bring so-called disadvantaged and disabled children to the farm. Well, they never planted anything and they never brought a single child or disadvantaged person onto the community gardens. Uh, but also... Our uh, own plotters, Peter Barber and his association called Playing Our Part, he was doing that work. He was bringing people who, you know, had mental health issues, were unemployed, had lost their way. He was using gardening alongside us to basically rehabilitate them. And his stories are just amazing. So many people that worked with Peter have now found the confidence and gained the skills to go and get a job. And they're happily employed. Now, that's community building in Yarra by Yarra residents. Yeah, not yeah. 
not social enterprise with an NDIS grant to bring people from outside for a one-hour program that builds no social relations, no belonging in place. You know, the garden, gardening is to cultivate the soil, right? And that verb cultivating, that speaks so much for, for the kind of deep connection to land, to people and to place. That's what the community gardens offer on an allotment style. And the so-called communal gardening that the farm wants to put in place, where people come and go and garden at the direction of their staff, that's not community building. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I was looking into the uh, background of the uh, CEO of uh, which it just seems really bizarre to me that it's called the CEO, CEO of the uh, Collingwood Community Farm. Uh, She uh, and this speaks to the long term uh, plan behind this process. Uh, Her her actual skills. I mean, her, her actual skills are in. Social enterprise, basically. That's right. That's exactly right. And Chris Williams is also behind this, and he's he's, he's on the com. He's all for social enterprise and urban regenerative gardening, but not for allotment community gardens. He himself has a plot. He has never been to a single working bee, and neither has Connor. Well, it's really quite fascinating. And and the other thing that's interesting to me is that you guys actually have said that uh, if there is other parts of this uh, area that could be used for the plan that the uh, the farm social enterprise group want to do. Absolutely. Why are they picking on you guys? The gardens are only 3% of the total land of the farm. The farm is actually a really sizable piece of land. They have been, over the last two years, taking out pretty well all the animals, turning what were animal pens where children could come and pet and be with farm animals into market gardens run by social enterprises, all social enterprises. Absolutely. You know, there's one goat left, one pig. Chickens are totally gone. Where the chicken pens were, they're going to build classrooms to bring the socially disadvantaged and disabled kids to a, you know, where they will, under some payment scheme, will get, I don't know, a one-hour class. And then they'll be taken to the gardens and maybe they'll get to plant a few things and then off they go. That's, that's amazing. So even the, the farm itself, it's, it's actually... The actual... farm itself has completely changed. You ask the local residents, little young children who used to take their children there to see the animals. I mean, even, you can even see it from the cycleway beside it. You can't see animals anymore. You know, it's not there anymore. The farm has totally lost its way. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's really fascinating to me is the uh, poster that was put up before the, you know, this outrageous uh, come and collect your stuff was actually. Jealous Craig. That tells you heaps. Yeah, yeah. That's really, really spooky. Oh, that's right. And again, that's evidence that they never, they never meant to consider our proposal. You know, we. Yeah, but Jealous Craig is a real estate agency. Why? Exactly. It's 
exactly. So what is this about? So they have they have this pee in their bonnet that the gardens are disorderly, they're not aesthetic, um, you know. So they want a, a pretty background for real estate development around the area and for corporate events. That's what they want. Oh, it's, it's really, really... Well, there's you know, got... And what we say is we don't want a park. We want working community allotment-style gardening for Yarra residents from all walks of life because that's how you build community. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, too. Um, reform uh, consultation is beginning to sound a, a smell as bad as the word reform. Absolutely. I mean, what... <laughs> And, you, you know, to me, a one-on-one of consultation is that you actually consult before you change. Also, it's not necessary. This doesn't need to happen. Um, there's going it to be... doesn't need to happen at all. No, it doesn't. Uh, the uh, rally, uh, you know, you're calling a meeting down at the uh, yes, farm. Are. Yeah, everybody, please come. We're, we're meeting at between 10 and 11 this morning down at the at the farm's gate and Stephen Jolly who your listeners may or may not know but he's just been really sick and had a, a open heart surgery he's making a special effort and coming down to support us and talking. Adam Bant is sending a representative. We have asked Richard Wynn's office but we have not heard anything yet. So you know, I'm really, really disappointed with Labor here. The, you know? uh, there was a, a, um, a hint that people were saying that there should be a green band placed. That would be fantastic. That is actually what we need. That if, if Richard Wynn doesn't see sense and step in, that is the only other thing that will save our gardens. Yes, we need a green band so that um, the people who would be employed to do the clearing works do not come. That is the only way, and we'll try and buy us some time to actually get this the right way round, which, of course, I mean, the right way round would be to do the minimum clearing works to allow the current plotters back in, then to have a real discussion with experts, not consultants, but with experts, Around and they do exist around what allotment style gardening is and what it does socially and culturally, right? And then once we have that understanding, then figure out what might have gone wrong in the management of these gardens. And there are things that have gone wrong, but they're not the plotter's fault, they're the farm's fault. No, yeah. the, 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 the management, the way they individualise everything and don't allow us to act collectively is a real problem. Sort the management and then go about filling the 20% of plots that are unallocated and really bring, extend the social diversity and and retain it in the hands of Yarra residents. These gardens were founded by Yarra residents for Yarra residents. Oh, also, the community was the one that saved the farm. I mean... Absolutely. It's outrageous. I share your outrage, Andrew. uh, Yeah, sorry, I I can't help my voice. I am outraged. You know, back... When was it? When um, 
the Steiner School wanted to extend, there mm. was a great big community, yeah, fight back, in which the plotters were engaged, as was the farm. And the plotters have always, the gardens have always had a separate identity and they are even possibly older than the farm itself. Okay. And we both fought alongside one another against that development in a particular way because, guess what? Those paddocks had been used since the convent was established as paddocks for animals. Yep, well, yep. where are the animals now? Yeah, yeah, green spaces, community, put sea back. Green spaces, community yeah. spaces, and we need to preserve these for the local community. And we don't want them to look sanitised and prettified for real estate developers. Well, 10 o'clock down at the, the community farm down in uh, Collingwood. Uh, I'll see you there, Absolutely. Andrea. We'll, we'll all be there. And, yeah, please do come and support us. We need to show Richard Wynn that Yarra cares about these gardens and wants them retained in Yarra hands. We really need to achieve this. And that's the only way we're going to win to win the battle. Yeah. A weak solidarity bricky team listener when caring employers were dancing in the streets, corks popping, whooping it up as they celebrated the oh-so-sensible decision by their High Court Honours that caring employers could employ people without employing people. Every worker in the country no longer a worker, but a one-person contractor who supplies her his labour to the caring employer who is not the caring employer, but for whom the caring employer who is not determines the wages and conditions the caring employer who is not will pay and provide for the supply of that contractor who is not an employee's labour. Showing the wisdom and down-to-earth relationship with reality, the common touch of their High Court honours, who pointed out the contract between the caring employer who is not and the, say, 15-year-old individual contractor signing that contract on such equal terms is a contract, not a friendship which was also so informative, so surprising, but so disappointing, because lazy, avaricious workers have always seen their caring employer as a friend, but now discover not only is it not a friend, but also not a caring employer. You're going to laugh at this, listener, but some commentators have suggested this flood of wisdom from the bench will lead to caring employers who are not slashing wages and conditions, slashing safety standards, as if caring employers are not caring when we all know that whenever anything that could upset the delicate flower that is the economy, and there are so many, many things that can upset the delicate flower, like, say, a proposed wage rise, or worse, a real wage rise, the caring employer's only concern is for the workers. This will cost jobs which shows just how much they care for their lazy, avaricious workers who will now not be their lazy, avaricious workers and sadly, as their honours ruled, will not be their friends. And some cynics, certainly not the week that was, might say when it comes to caring employers, the term their honours is appropriate, spot on. Just when we thought Barnacle couldn't get any more stupid, we discovered he sent a text to someone he barely knew that Big Supremo Scuttlebin Morlashson, a.k.a. Scummo, was a hypocrite and a liar who earnestly rearranges the truth to a lie. My observations, and that is over a long time. 
and thought there was no chance it just might become public. Still, he rounded out a good week for ScoMo after it was also leaked that ScoMo's great mate Gladys had called him horrible, 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 and a cabinet minister added to the praise with a fraud and a psycho. And Barnacle, showing he'd learnt nothing from believing the text message would never see the light of, urged the cabinet minister to out yourself and explain. Mistake, Barnacle. Big, big mistake. Imagine it. Uh, could you explain what you meant calling Scummo horrible, 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 a fraud and a psycho? Certainly, I meant Scummo is a horrible, horrible, horrible fraud and a psycho. Then again, maybe Barnacle in his Machiavellian way was setting a trap for his now close friend, the liar and the hypocrite. He did say his assessment of Scummo was historical, whatever that meant. Last week is now history if we think about it. Perhaps he meant hysterical, but then again he did say observations over a long time. Not that we're suggesting Barnacle keeps contradicting himself, but anyway, Scummo, as the true loves the dear baby Jesus Christian that he is, says he forgives them all, which proves he's not a liar. Even if he can't forgive all those no-proper-papers, queue-jumping, illegal boat people he has kept locked up for about a decade for the heinous crime of seeking asylum and refuge from war and persecution, from the true blue Aussie invading their country, for instance. That Christian love was evident in his response to the 182-page Amnesty International report accusing Zion of apartheid in its maltreatment of the Palestinian non-people in the non-people's land. No country is perfect, Scummo dismissed the maltreatment, restating Trublowazi's close, close, close relationship with Zion, which would not be affected by some report from a body the Zion lobby in Trublowazi told us angrily has been taken over by ideological extremists. And Scummo agreed, displaying his love thy neighbour concern for the non-people. A local Zion lobbyist said the report itself was the crime, not the maltreatment of the non-people. A crime against truth and international law, he said, leaving satire sadly yet again with nothing to say. On the positive side, Scummo was backed up in his defence of Zion by the Socialist Party, another close, close friend of Zion, its spokesperson Penny Leftwing, most upset at the use of the word apartheid. Then again, love thy neighbour, epitome of Christian love, horrible, 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 lying, hypocrite, psycho, fraud, scummo, might for once have been honestly self-critical in declaring, no country is perfect, a perfect example. Although, to be fair, he probably does believe one country is perfect. Our very, very, very close friend, the U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world, which in protecting its perfection, in protecting the whole world, has been forced to escalate its already huge train-killer build-up on the evil, evil, evil Russian border because evil Russia gets a bit upset about the U.S. of NATO build-up on its borders and poses a threat to world peace, as the US of announced it had irrefutable intelligence. Intelligence, we use that word pretty loosely. Irrefutable evidence, evil Russia planned an imminent invasion. Uh, is that the same intelligence which proved irrefutably evil Iraq was bristling with weapons of mass destruction, hundreds of nuclear weapons, and planned to invade the whole world? Absolutely. And we can guarantee it is just as reliable. You better believe it. 
In fairness, we can understand the weapons of mass destruction mistake because the then Secretary for War and Destruction, Donald Rumsfeld, the Arabs, sold them heaps of them. Turns out he didn't know what he didn't know. He knew what he didn't know. He knew he didn't know. The week that was has irrefutable intelligence information. Evil Russia is apparently concerned about the weapons of mass destruction with which the US OB is bristling and is considering placing train killers and train killer weapons of on both the US OB's Canadian and Mexican borders. And just a bit of bad luck last week, a US OB train killer jet stopped up its landing on a train killer aircraft carrier and crashed into the briny. Bad luck, because the US OB was concerned the evil Chinese might seize the wreck and uncover some US OB secrets, which are, of course, critical in the US OB's role to protect the whole world. Because it turned out the train killers were in Chinese territorial waters. Interesting that, because the US OB tells us it is simply exercising its right to sail in non-Chinese territorial waters, international waters. But as ScoMo knows, it is the one country that is perfect, like ScoMo would never, never tell a lie, so it must have inadvertently sailed into evil Chinese territory. Evil China, as the Minister for Being Offensive and Train-Killing Constable Peter Duffer has warned us, based on equally irrefutable intelligence... Constable Duffer intelligence, okay, okay, for the sake of argument. Irrefutable that Socialist Party Supremo and would be big Supremo, Anthony All Being Uzi, is a puppet being manipulated from Beijing. The Chinese Communist, you know, like party, as Pete keeps repeating, Communist Party running a 100% capitalist economy. Thank goodness for Constable Duffer that we've been warned. And it's interesting that capitalist China is a bigger threat to our capitalist values, which are our great true blue Aussie values, than was communist China. Not that that saved Vietnam from our invasion on the coattails of, and speaking of hyperbole, and we're going to come back to hyperbole, and the itch to utilise all those products of the merchants of death, the Secretary of the USR World State, Anthony Non-Blinken first, landed in True Blue Aussie and told us this was the most critical time in our relationship ever, ever. It is imperative True Blue Aussie must buy trillions of dollars more peace, love and products from our USR merchants of death. Death. As we have to learn to live with it, let it rip, RIP of course, for rest in peace, continued to rip, New South Wales Supremo Dom Parrott talks celebrated thousands of victims dying of it or catching it or being forced to isolate because of it, hospitals and health workers straining under the weight of it by declaring, our plan is working. We said there'd be lots more death and disease and we were spot on. Yes, it must do a politician's heart the world of good when he, he in this case, gets it so right. On that notice in an item about COVID from the US of, the location was the Henry Ford Health Center, which I thought interesting given the contribution all those Henry Ford exhaust pipes have made to world health. On people who don't matter dying for the good of the profits for people who do matter, politicians also, of course, specialise in hyperbole. Almost anything that happens is the worst ever, the best ever, the most disgraceful ever. That is the most disgraceful comment ever made in this house. We hear it all the time. And this week, Anthony Albinguzi maintained the tradition describing aged care as 
a policy failure the like of which this country has never seen before. Well, yeah, technically the likes of which in this case has never been seen, but I would have thought that over the journey there's been a few policy failures that would have to be right up there. All those train killer invasions on the coattails of our very, very close friend, the US offspring to mine, for instance. But don't they just love hyperbole? As issues to do with equality and addressing sexual violence took the stage of the National Press Club, one of the prime examples of why we need more women in politics, Attorney General Michaelia Koch, the workers, announced that the promise before the last election to introduce a national anti-corruption body could not sadly be met because there wasn't enough time now before the next election which raises a few pretty obvious questions, but but it was more important to fulfil another really urgent promise from three years ago, giving religion the right to discriminate against those it disagrees or who disagree with it, including children who don't conform to its God-given awareness about a man and a woman. So after politicians wasted a whole night talking about it, Michaela and Scummo and the team decided there wasn't enough time left for that either, after all, because too many people wanted to make it difficult for people of faith in good faith to make children's lives a misery. That'll have to wait. Because finally, Scummo said the most pressing legislation now before the election was a bill banning the National Press Club. After all, he had given an apology with all the sincerity we've come to recognise. And within 24 hours, two young upstart women had his love thy neighbour and the dear baby Jesus, horrible, horrible, lying, hypocrite, psycho, fraud reputation in tatters. She didn't seem very tame to me. Good morning. <laughs> exactly. Didn't seem that tame to me. Uh, you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Don Sutherland on the line. G'day, Don. How are you? I'm really well, thank you very much. Annie, how are you? And I have best wishes to all of your listeners. Yeah. Uh, before we go I, uh, on with our conversation, I just wanted to insert this piece of information. I was talking to Marcus uh, May from the ABC, Friends of the ABC, and Marcus said that uh, the ABC was a brainchild of the Menzies government. No, the Menzies, uh, and it sort of bothered me because I know a little bit about this history. Uh, Menzies was around during uh, when the ABC became a television uh, uh, station. It was actually the Joseph Lyons government much earlier in 1936 that uh, invented the ABC concept. And uh, that was with radio, of course. And maybe it was because he came from Stanley in Tasmania that he understood how important it was to bind a nation through a public broadcasting service. Anyway, I've got that off my chest. G'day, Don. We can talk about uh, wages. And isn't Stanley one of the most beautiful oh, places yeah, in the country? Anyway, yes. So yes, we're going we're to talk about wages, and I'll, and we will. Uh, and I do want to talk about wages in reference to what's been going on in the major uh, exchanges, public exchanges, and then also at particular workplaces around uh, women's safety at work. And and but first, there has been some uh, new information coming out about. Uh, what's going on in the manufacturing industry that we discussed in our first couple of discussions uh, this year in 2022. Uh, so I just want to bring listeners up to date on that, take a couple of minutes to do that, and then we can have a talk about what's going on in workplaces and industries 
that are of great moment for the majority of the population. Okay, go for uh, it. So on the manufacturing industry, I picked up that, uh, of course, earlier in the week, uh, Morrison made a new announcement, a new breathless announcement, <laughs> that there would be a new $2 billion fund, funding scheme for the commercialising of ideas about new Australian uh, technologies, that is, products and other com- commodities that relate to both you know, things that are used to make products and then the end result, which is picked up by consumers. Yes, yeah, so, so that American companies then can... So, so American companies can come along, like the lithium battery? I'm about to come to that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the, uh, but the interesting idea about that is that my hunch is that that $2 billion, probably at least a half of it, uh, is actually rolled over from the previous schemes, yeah. breathlessly announced, of course, in the middle of last year and late the year before, that were shut down in December before their funding had been completed. A bit more um, tricky-dicky stuff, hey? The, yeah, yeah, more of that. Um, however, it's very interesting that he's into commercial ideas because a company called Tritium, which, operate, which um, is an Australian-based manufacturing company established in southeast Queensland, there's more that can be said about all of this, but Tritium has announced a huge expansion into the United States and then later in the year there'll be a follow-up smaller expansion into Europe. Tritium makes charging units for electric cars. Surprise, surprise. operation in southeast Queensland employs about 370 people operating over two and sometimes three shifts. Um, the the announcement regarding opening up a production facility where it's going to make these things, no, not an expansion in Australia, but an expansion in the USA, funded significantly by subsidies from the Biden administration, is going to put 500 people into work in somewhere, somewhere in Tennessee in the USA. Now, the effect of that is quite likely that it will suck some jobs out of the southeast Queensland operation. So there we have this all of this breathless excitement from the Morrison. Oh, that's government. really interesting because all the sabre rattling, uh, public sabre rattling against China, actually delivered a whole lot of beef beef exports from America to China. Exactly, exactly. So what we have here <laughs> is this is an. I mean, this is a manufacturing industry that ought to be developed in Australia so that the units that are produced are exported. But no, not with this government. It's breathless, exciting announcements, which are really advertising, um, really advertising jobs, uh, are really a policy failure. Another yeah. policy failure, and this it's is terrible, uh, isn't it? They're just you know, you know, awful. This just goes on from what Kevin was saying, not so very just a few minutes ago. Yeah, terrible. People. The only other little bit to add to that is you may recall that we pointed out that one of the chief architects of the new manufacturing pivot that the COVID nineteen pandemic had uh, inspired the government into. Remember the manufacturing pivot? Yeah, well, yeah. one of the two sort of overall supervisors before that of. Uh, a Fortescue executive by the name of Nev Power, well, he got sprung using his helicopter, because he's quite a wealthy man, he used an helicopter to get around, using his helicopter to get from Queensland across the border restrictions back into Western Western Australia. 
And um, so, but this guy was for a while until it got shut down. He was. Uh, and an element of this, of course, was the development of the manufacturing proposals um, or non-proposals. Um, uh, he he was the head of the COVID commission. So we had the head of the COVID commission being sprung and caught, and that yesterday in court, in court for breaching the COVID restrictions using his helicopter, which, of course, any one of us could possibly do. Mm. I, well, sounds sounds a little bit like uh, the Prime Minister of England. Um, yes, it's somewhat like that. Uh, it turns out that yeah, it's spot on, and it turns out that um, the, um, the the language used in the court to try and find a defence for his <laughs> indefensibility was, was described as um, uh, willful blindness. <laughs> don't they? Don't, they obviously don't have a phrase book with them. Is it? Is it? Well. Uh, you know, uh, I just think that uh, this is, you know, we have another policy failure. When it comes to women and safety at work, we have another policy failure. Uh, there are three points to be made before we go to the, you know, the sort of incredible significance, really, of the Grace Tame and uh, Brittany Higgins' speeches in the National Press Club last week. Not just for... Uh, women in higher incomes and so on, but for women generally, and particularly for women working for wages, working away on relatively low incomes, and particularly in so-called feminised occupational groups. Well, the first thing is that New South Wales nurses, of course, are going on strike next week. That's right. They are. It's likely that you're reporting that in other ways. But the central issue there is the inadequate staffing and the horrendous workloads imposed upon nurses who are overwhelmingly women. And, of course, that's causing enormous health problems. In other words, going to work as a nurse is an incredibly dangerous um, occupation at the moment with all sorts of health implications and life implications. Well, it's interesting that you should bring up uh, manufacturing uh, uh, close to... uh, uh, welfare industries uh, because, of course, welfare industries are almost uh, to the um, uh, financial class or the boss wallers is a servant class, effectively. They don't think they're actually producing anything which gives them profit and therefore it doesn't deserve uh, to be paid properly. Well, and but the reality, of course, is that uh, nurses, as are other healthcare workers and childcare workers and teachers, their uh, their economic contribution, of course, their contribution is far more than economic, but their economic contribution is they it's they vast and restore it's absolutely vast and capable workforce every day of the week. Uh, they turn the, they as much as anyone help to turn the society over every day. Look, I mean, this is an example of why um, market, uh, free market economics as the lever for society is just such a full concept. Yes, although it's seduced, uh, many of us, the majority of the population are still seduced by it, unfortunately. A bit more about that in a minute when we talk about wages, perhaps. But the, uh, the Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins' speeches were incredibly significant, I think, they coincided with a report on uh, how dangerous it is for women to work in Rio Tinto. Uh, There was a report released that shows that 43% of the women 
working at Rio Tinto's fly-in and fly-out and drive-in, drive-out mine sites have experienced sexual harassment. These are big numbers. Now, this means that safety at work is not just a Parliament House issue. It's all, it, it is an issue experienced by all predominantly working women. Men are also sexually harassed, although not to the same degree. It, the report said that it is a common... Sexual harassment and racism also are common throughout Rio Tinto. Now, I think this is a window into, the, into all workplaces and that what we have is a situation where more than half of Australians live in or on the edge of fear throughout their daily lives. 43% at Rio Tinto, it'll be higher in many other workplaces and maybe lower in some others. Now, if it's 43% who report the actual experience of it, it's a big majority who know enough about it to be frightened of it during their going to and from work every day. And then some of them, of course, go home to the same fear in their domestic lives. This is unacceptable. Now, this is where we get to another big policy failure, is that the... uh, uh, is that in 1920, the government was presented with the landmark Respect at Work report that the, that Commissioner Jenkins, Kate Jenkins, who did... You mean 2019? Uh, 1919. Was it 1920? 1919. I think the survey... 2019. Anyway, anyway. You said 1920. It was, uh, I'm talking about 2019. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, that's crazy, man. Yeah, yes, yes, my, my ageing brain... Um, so there we have a report which outlined the full dimensions of problem of the problem across the Australian workplace and industrial scene. That sexual harassment was rife. Workplaces are dangerous places for fifty percent plus of the population, and that report contained recommendations. The central one was that employers should face an obligation to take reasonable measures to eliminate the prospect of sex discrimination and sexual harassment as far as possible. So it's a very modest recommendation. Has the government actually acted on this? No. They could easily have taken steps in a number of in a number of ways to make sure that the uh, that the onus was on employers to ensure that their workplaces rem- were removing the prospect of sexual harassment and therefore making them safer. But no, they haven't done that either. Yet another thing... They don't they believe. Work. They don't believe in equality and they don't believe in... Uh, they. I think this is a clear statement of uh, how foolish of you to think that... Uh, uh, you can change things through policy. Uh, you're just not being realistic. This is the way life is supposed to be. Yes. That's that's their view of the world. That's their view of the world, and, of course, they're so caught up in their own pride. Well, they're male and white and rich, and they've already fooled everybody into filling their pockets with more moolah. And, and their daily lives in terms of the decisions they make as parliamentarians and so on are governed by the pressure put upon them 
by the corporate sector. Yeah, it's creepy. Expect them to be looking after the corporate sector first, foremost, and last. Um, the uh, so that brings us on to the wage scene. Um, uh, there is a lot more that can be said about that, and listen, your listeners can get know how to get hold of and read uh, the Respect at Work report, which does what exactly what Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins were talking about, which is extending our understanding about what's going on beyond just Parliament House. It's like the deathless statement in the Bible about the poor will always be with us. They don't have to be. But... No. <laughs> Go on. So we, 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 we Let's talk about to... wages and the poor. Us. Well, I, my hunch is that the big remaining hope for the Liberal National Party to win the election uh, uh, is the economy. Not because the economy is in reality shifting into better shape, but because there's going to be about a two to three month window in which it can, in which can be superficially presented as being in good shape. And superficial presentation of what's going on in the economy is enough to convince, I don't know, 20% of voters that uh, the government is doing a good job, which we know to be not true when you dig slightly below the surface. And that's going to be, all of that is going to be in sharp relief over the next two or three months because the annual wage review will coincide with much of the election period. The annual wage review is now underway and the new dates were announced a couple of days ago by the Fair Work Commission about the timetable for the process. Now, for listeners who don't know, the annual wage review is a consultation process conducted by a special bench of the Fair Work Commission in which interested parties, which means unions or employers, present their claims about how much the national minimum wage should be increased, if at all, and how much the minimum rates in our industrial wards should be increased, if at all. Well, that's really interesting. Um, Recently, the uh, Reserve Bank... Um, had something to say about this, didn't they? Yes, the Reserve Bank said that what they would like to see is wages rising to around 4% because they think that's the tolerable level at which... Uh, at, at which um, uh, that, that would do. Anything less than that would mean that they're not that interested at the present time in shifting interest rates because uh, mm-hmm. there's this connection between interest rates prices, or wages and prices. Well, you know, that's really interesting because, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, Um, aged care workers are calling for 21% increase in their wages. Yeah, I read it as 25%. Um, The the first thing to be said about what, um, uh, well, there's two points to be made there, firstly. What the Reserve Bank Governor, Mr Lowe, said, 4%, he will not back up with a public endorsement of an ACTU claim for 4% or more. He will not do that. So it's weasel words. So if the ACTU come forward with a claim of, let's 
imagine, 4 or 4.5. That, that's like saying politics shouldn't uh, 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 shouldn't be be involved in sport. Like, politics shouldn't be involved in banking. Well, both the Reserve Bank... It's not really regular for the Reserve Bank Governor to make a formal submission into the uh, annual wages review, but it is... It is completely acceptable for it to express a public opinion about what the Commission ought to consider. Now, if their view is that they would like to see wages rising around 4%, it would be logical for them to do that, to say, well, we hope that the Fair Work Commission does find uh, a way to around 4%. Of course, they're not going to do that. Now, we don't know yet exactly what the ACQ claim is going to be, and, of course, we don't, therefore, also know what the employer's counterclaim is going to be. All that will unfold. In fact, the deadline... But, but I, can, I can predict the headlines. We'll all be ruined, said Hanrahan. Yeah, no matter what... Actually, you're dead right. I mean, the, 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 it would be... You see, there is, uh, a, there is actually a perfect time for the employers to agree to a union claim to increase wages. And that time is never. (laughs) Never is their perfect time. And that will be the case this year, I am sure, as it has been in all the previous uh, hearings. So that process is going to unfold. And the first submissions from the unions, the employers and state governments and just, you know, I think the federal government will dodge the issue. Uh, I, I do on, I think it's April the 1st. <laughs> That's even funnier. Um, yes, well, it could be funnier. Uh, um, or is it one of those tragic, tragedy, uh, tragic comic sort of moments that we can look forward to? Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm expecting the ACTU to put forward a solid claim. Whether there'll be a solid campaign is unknown at this stage. The annual wage review is actually of great significance for workers who are in enterprise agreements. The number of workers in enterprise agreements and the number of agreements are declining. And the many many of the agreements are uh, in their third or fourth years and some in their fifth years with very low pay, uh, pay increases already negotiated. You know, you know the, uh, this po- the thing that you've just pointed out is that this is the uh, deathbed of the accord. Oh, I think the accord died a long time ago. But, but, you know, the fact that the EBA was the final, um, you know, w- w- it was one of the pillars. It was one of the uh, reasons for why various people thought it was had some leaks. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I I, I, I want to go into that territory today. But oh, no, because of... we've only got three minutes to go, so yeah. I should should keep my mouth shut. Sorry. Uh, the... the Now, this was all happening in the context that yesterday, um, or maybe the day before, the workers, uh, uh, the the Women's Gender Equality Agency reported on the gender pay gap. And once again, the numbers were quite significant without going into too much detail. The 22.8% gap in pay uh, on the basis of gender is still the case. And when it comes to minimum, the national minimum wage and also the uh, the rates, the, lo- uh, the, the rates and the lower pay scales in the industrial wards, uh, 
big numbers of, uh, in some industries, a majority of women are uh, employed in there. And there is a there is a relationship between those low rates and the gender pay gap. Uh, All right. We have to stop. We have to stop. We literally have to stop. So there's lots unfolding and a lot more still to come. And as you say, this aged care workers pay claim, just you know, just a timely reminder of how broken the rules are. Yeah, exactly. The Fair Work Act. That claim was lodged in 2020. Yeah, well, we'll see. And the decision on it is not likely until towards the end of the year to be made by commissioners. Now, the Fair Work Commissioner is now stacked with more pro-employer, pro-Morrison government commissioners. Yeah, no, so we, we, ha- we have to go, we have to go, we have to go. Well, oh, we have to go. Okay, well, it's lovely joining in with you again. Thank you very much, Annie, and... We'll we'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Yeah, yeah, we have to go. Uh, Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. The only way to get the old food stomping is to get up off a chair. Only way to get adrenaline pumping is to move a little. The only way to do your thing is with possessing swing. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.